Mostly known for his writing and, of course, his work with the White Noise Collective, which we will be talking about. But specifically, I wanted to talk a little bit about your um, newsletter that I actually read this morning. And I was devastated to learn you will be leaving Catwoman and Justice League Dark, of course. But Catwoman, oh, my favorite. I'm so. What made you kind of decide to go do that? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess leave it. Yeah, my my son was born on on June third, so uh, I'm gonna basically use him as an excuse for everything. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I knew that that this time around July, August was gonna be pretty busy uh, in terms of my personal life, um, and I had also just signed on to do Venom over at Marvel um, and. You know, I was doing Swamp Thing, which was a successful book. Um, and I felt that at that time I had to make certain choices in terms of, you know, how much work I was doing. Because I was also putting aside creator-owned books that, that you know, I've been working on um, just to just to keep, you know, all the schedules, all the plates spinning. Um, and so given that, you know, Justice League Dark was, a, was essentially a backup. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a surprisingly hard to come up with two stories every month even if they're 10 pages rather than one uh which i which i discovered while working on that um and i mean with catwoman i'd sort of come in at the tail end of joker war uh, and i knew that fear state was going to come up at the end of the year um and it felt like a nice sort of circular one year run if you will um the, the other thing was, you know, it really was a choice between continuing that and, and working on something like Swamp Thing, where with Swamp Thing, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to, to construct that book from the ground up, really. Um, there wasn't a run before me. Uh, and so I felt like that one had more of me in it, uh, if, I, that, if yep. that makes sense. Um, not that, you know, I put any less of myself into, into my projects, but... Um, I think it's also a matter of creatively the kind of work that I want to do going forward is likely to be the kind of books where I can come in and I can go like, look, this is this is my voice. This is my stamp. Um, and so with that in view, um, I also, I, if you read the newsletter, you know this, I also have a couple of projects that are not in comics, which I'm, which I'm currently working on. 
Um, and so just it's just a matter of time. Uh, and so I'm having to make choices regarding um, what is personally more more engaging to me and more more interesting to me um, creatively. Oh, I totally get it. And congratulations on the on the baby boy. That's that's a perfect justification. I mean, totally understandable. <laughs> but as far as your, I mean, runner, yeah, you can't you can't complain about uh, a three month old baby. So yeah, you well, you can maybe <laughs> at night or something. But <laughs> um, the, your run on Catwoman has been one. I I'm constantly saying it's the best ongoing at DC, and Thank that's you. because Swamp Thing technically was you know ending at 10 so it, it 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 kind of you know goes as an ongoing but the work you did with father valley oh mm -hmm. absolutely love it i i just want to say that before i really ask anything else because it is so good it really was but when you first your first work at dc was supposed to be a harley and ivy special correct uh, no, my first work at DC was actually a, a Batman Secret Files short story. Okay, I thought there was something before that. I'm sorry. I apologize about that. So, uh, when you... Yeah. No, I mean, there was a time where I had pitched a Harley and Ivy. Maybe that's series. what I'm thinking. Um, and I have no... I, have, I think it came around at the time where Heroes in Crisis was either starting or ending. I don't remember now. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, You sometimes when you're working at larger publishing houses, there's so many editors, so many stories that you end up commissioning two things uh, that don't fit. Uh, and I don't think my story would have fit what they what they wanted to do if there was a crisis. So. Right. There's been a lot of work with them as the last year, for sure. But when you first um, started with Justice League Dark, you co-wrote with Tinian. And yeah. after the Witching War crossover, you eventually took over for a time. Mm -hmm. Was that to allow the transition from writer to writer to be kind of more of a smoother aspect? Sure. I, I mean, I think that there's certainly there's certainly part of that. Um, there's you know also the part of making sure I'm not some flaky guy who writes two good issues and then phones it in for the rest. You know? <laughs> so, um, which happens sometimes. So you, so you want to be you want to be sure you want to have steady hands on the project and i'm sure you know um james had earned the editorials trust and it made sense to have him on that first arc plus um james had written the story for such a long period of time and um i didn't want I, i'm not one of those writers who comes in and goes like yeah everything that happened before i started doesn't matter uh no i quite enjoy the idea of like not only does that matter but all 50 years of this comic book before also matters. Um, so I think it was a matter of coordinating with James, uh, who certainly helped with the with the plotting of the story and with the framing uh, of that story that I was going to do. So, um, so yeah, it was it was kind of for that reason to to have that sort of continuity that that we worked together. And then at that point in time, you know, they hadn't approached me uh, to do to do the ongoing series. Um, I was only supposed to do one arc and then we were going to see where that went um and yeah I, you know when that arc was done i, I believe the response was good uh, people were interested in the book and happy that uh, the story was moving forward from where james left it off so um i was offered the the ongoing series and i took it on i mean that corner of the dcu is certainly certainly uh one of my favorites 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And why did that why did that end up being regulated to kind of the backup in the main Justice League story after what was it after Future State, right? Yes. I mean, from my perspective, I didn't go into it too much with the editors, frankly, because um you know, large publishing houses going through change and transitions, there's always stuff that um that gets changed around there are always plans that comes in uh, that that come in from left field if you will um and so i'm only as far as my interactions go i'm only kind of bothered with the creative side of things and when i was offered uh the the backups you know the editors gave me a choice to say hey totally understand if you don't want to continue this but we're going to be doing these as backups now um and i kind of said you know give them to me because the idea <laughs> of doing the idea of doing a 10 pager um twice a month was interesting to me in terms of creative format um partly because we kind of live in this modern age of decompressed comics right uh where where you get pages on pages sometimes of two characters just kind of wistfully staring at each other which is an absolutely valid way of writing a story it is an aesthetic and a tone to it, and I and I do that at times. Um, but with JLD, I kind of wanted to harken back to those sort of vertigo days where you could fit like four stories into twenty pages. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my endeavor. I said, you know, give me give me a run where I can just go crazy and pack so much story into ten pages each time. Um, and I'm glad to see I'm glad to see people kind of take note of that, if you will. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really enjoying this story with Merlin and everything, but um, is that ever going to be, do you have any idea if it'll be collected into a trade together? Instead yeah, of I think everything from 59 to, to 71 okay. um, plus the Justice League Dark Annual is being collected as a, as a JLE trade. Okay, I wondered about that because I know a lot of people had asked me because they weren't buying maybe the main one, but wanted to read the backup, so I wasn't sure. So did you pitch the idea of bringing back Leanne, um, aging her up and have her in her kind of handle herself? Or was that plan already in place? I mean, I think it was kind of fortuitous because we were, the, the plan to to have the strays in there already existed. Right. Um, and so we were already kind of working with that idea and talking about who, who these strays were going to be, what their larger roles were. Um, and then, you know, the the death metal um, series happened, and and uh, I, I believe I knew that at the end of death metal, that all of the DC history happened, and all of those characters existed, and they all they were, you know, some of them were coming back, if you will. Um, and so it was really at that time that we started having this conversation of like, oh wait, you know, because I'd wanted to call this character Cheshire um, off of the Cheshire Cat off of the you know, original Cheshire from, from right. Titans. Um, and the editors were like, yeah, but why, you know, why let's relate them some way. Like, why are they related? And, and I think it made sense at that point to go like, oh man, what if, what if it's Leanne? What if it's Leanne coming back post death metal with the, you know, with the time streams and multiverses all kind of messed up, um, but she's back. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how that came along. I love it. I love seeing her back. It was, I actually read through that. Um, you know, what was it? The, um, 
Oh, I forget what it, the celebration festival of heroes. Oh, and yeah. I didn't realize that that was Leanna first. And then I get to the end and I'm like, Whoa, now I need to read this again. <laughs> like <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so as far as your swamp thing, you change the host, the, uh, mm-hmm. the swamp thing, right? Mm-hmm. You have kind of a new avatar. Why did you want to tell this story with, I hope I'm saying it right. Levi Kamai, um, instead yeah, of Alec yeah. Kami. Okay. Instead of Alec Holland. Well, I mean, well, I'm going to answer that in two two parts. Um, okay. Firstly, we never asked this question, like when it's when it's a a character chosen that everyone thinks is acceptable to have this kind of host, or everyone's seen this kind of character be a host before. It's never it's never questioned. You never ask why. Like if I replaced, you know, the a, a character, a, a superhero, with another character that was the exact same kind of characteristics as that superhero no one would question it right um, so i don't think i don't think if people make decisions to to bring in hey look we're gonna we're gonna have fun with this character we're gonna change who they are uh, in terms of their race we're gonna change who they are in terms of their cultural background we're gonna change who they are in terms of uh their gender i think all of those things are good and important um as long as they're well done um, my my only criteria is that you tell your story well, um, because I think superheroes do truly belong to the world, and these are all storytelling mediums. Like the superheroes themselves are storytelling lenses, um, and I feel like if we are going to tell a story about this world, then the story should be about everyone who occupies this world. Um, you know. There are kids in India who watch Black Panther just as much as there are kids in China, in America, in the UK. Right. So they all deserve to be superheroes at some point in time. Um, so that was part of my motivation. Um, the other part of the motivation was purely in terms of uh, story and storytelling news, if you will, uh, in that I thought that Swamp Thing uh, as, a, as a character um, suffered from this kind of bifurcation where the the idea of the swamp thing itself is full of potential and and brimming with ideas and can go anywhere if you will um and the idea of alec holland at that point following you know len wayne's run and alan moore's run and and vage and snyder and sewell i felt like alec holland had kind of gotten stuck in a place where all of the stories were essentially about alec holland Abby Arcane and Anton Arcane. Eventually yep. it all boiled down to that. Um, and I felt like that was holding back the kind of stories you could tell with Swamp Thing. And I'm almost gonna hearken back to the to the to the Alan Moore run, in which Moore, one of the first things Moore did was he had Swamp Thing bury the bones of Alec Holland. I think that was that was an interesting statement to make. Uh, and so I remember it was part of my pitch where I said, you know, we should do what Alan Moore does and and bury the bones of Alec Holland and and move this character forward so we can tell new stories from the perspective of someone who is from 2021 who sees the world as it is now um, and is reflective of the world as it is now in a lot of ways. Oh, I love that answer. That's an that's an incredible answer. Um, I think through a lot of your writing, I've learned about the culture whether you write a lot of stories you know centering around mumbai and india and a lot of it i didn't know 
and a lot of it had opened my mind to and opened my eyes to. So I think that's really important, even for, you know, people that are from America to learn that kind of culture. And I think the way you tell the idea of the green through Levi kind of um, what he, and I don't want to spoil it because I know the more recent issue came out, but the way what he kind of did to his family. And and mm-hmm. it's really like that guilt and um, almost like being resentful of his past self. I think that's a pretty great story to tell. And it's something fresh we haven't seen from Swamp Thing. But I also noticed a lot of your writing is very um, similar in nature from the Alan Moore runs. And it, it reminds me of that level of quality was I mean, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but was Alan Moore part of your inspiration when doing the new Swamp Thing story? I mean, both yes and no, right? Um, yes, in that if you want to learn how to write good comics, you have to learn by reading Alan Moore at some point in your career. Right. Um, and so for me, um, I've always preferred that milieu of writing, which had a kind of scathing intellect behind everything that was happening on the page. I mean, you could be writing about, you know, Martian cartoon characters coming onto Earth and encountering a swamp creature, but it still had to be about something that was intelligent and interesting and saying something about us that wasn't easy to articulate outside of it, you know? Um, and so largely my reading before I got into com- into writing comics was all writers like that. So. Um, you know, there was Ellis, um, Ennis, Morrison, Gaiman, Moore, right. um, Azarello to an extent. Um, and so really largely that sort of late 80s vertigo group of writers. Uh, and so my influence has certainly come from there. But I also think that the way to do a Swamp Thing run and have people talk about it fondly in comparison to Alan Moore rather than say, oh, Alan Moore already did this better is to almost vehemently try to do something new with it in that in as much as it is inspired by alan moore it is also trying very actively not to be alan moore um so i suppose there's there's always that tension i think that tension tells in the storytelling um it is i take from alan moore the fact that the reason swamp thing is such an interesting character uh, and such an interesting lens to tell stories through is because um, is reflective of us. You know, uh, the character is reflective of us. Are right. we monsters? Are we human? Are we monsters trying to hold ourselves to the ideal of humanity that we believe in? Or are we human beings who are intent on seeing ourselves as monsters? Um, because that is the kind of sort of... Um, unforgiving criticism that we constantly want to put ourselves through. Um, So these are all interesting questions. And I think Alan Moore sort of touches on them throughout his run, um, along with greater questions about the world and humanity and how Mm -hmm. we treat our people, if you will. And all of those things I want to do because I think they're hallmarks of telling good stories or especially hallmarks of the kind of stories that I want to tell. But equally, I don't want to use the same ideas Alan Moore did. and, And I think and people love as soon as they see anatomy in a book, they they say, "Ah, it must be the anatomy lesson." It's it's not. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So I think 
if you're if you're going to write a book that has the the great sort of pedigree of amazing writers that come before it, I think you owe it both to yourself and to the work that those guys did to try to do something that is intellectually different. That uh, That's a great answer. I do have a question from the chat asking, what is your opinion on variant covers in comics? Um, I like some of them. I think there are, I think there are too many. <laughs> um, that 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 come out with comics sometimes, but I'm also not particularly, uh, and people are gonna, people are never gonna forgive me for saying this, but I'm also not actively like a a collector. Um, I treat my books terribly. I treat them like old shoes. I sleep <laughs> on them. Uh, I, I throw them under my desk. So I would never be able to connect collect any kind of book. Uh, and so the only value a variant cover has to me. Uh, is for me to look at it and go like, oh my God, that's pretty. Um, I have all the variants for Layla Star, and I have to say uh, that that Boom got some amazing, amazing people to do those variants covers. So I'm glad they exist, but beyond that, beyond the beyond the uh, joy of looking at them, um, I have no particular opinion about them one way or the other. I totally get, and I read everything digitally nowadays. So variant covers, it's like, ooh, it's pretty. Okay, I'm gonna read the story now. Like, I, I, I get why people collect them. I do, but yeah, they're just. Oh, don't get me cool. wrong. I, I absolutely admire people who collect stuff because I'm in awe of the ability of their ability to keep things in a pristine way. Oh yeah. Um, my books look like, you know, a rhinoceros stampeded all over them. <laughs> By the time I'm done with them, so your poor books. So talking about the many deaths of Layla Star, um, how did you come up with the concept of life and death for the series? Was Layla based off of any Hindu gods? Um, no, I think Layla is based off of a lot of Hindu gods. You know, um, the the joy of coming from a pantheon as crazy as the Hindu pantheon um, is that. There are so many gods all fulfilling the same role. So if you ask someone, you know, who the Hindu god of death is, some some of them will say Yama, but then Yama is also the Hindu god of justice. So I don't know what that says about Hinduism that they equate justice to death in some ways. Um, then there's Kali, who's supposed to be the Indian goddess of death, but she's also the Indian goddess of war. Um, so I think they're really. I don't think a god exists that embodied what I wanted to say about death. So. She's just death. Ah, that's a good answer. <laughs> um, so when it comes to a lot of your books, including stuff like uh, Paradiso and Gravity Falls, the idea of place seems quite central in a lot of your storytelling. And usually no. a lot of it taking place in Mumbai. Um, is there, from somebody who hasn't seen much more than cornfields in America... How was living in Mumbai inspiring you as a writer when you first started? I mean, to be honest, um, all of my stories are inspired by, by place. If you think about it, Catwoman is, um, you know, inextricable from the struggles of Alleytown. Mm -hmm. um, Swamp Thing is entirely about place and that it's about every place on the planet, right? Um, I think or at least the way I think about stories, they're very much sort of grounded in in the, the, the spaces that people occupy. Because I think the way we occupy those spaces uh, is indicative of 
the way we think about human beings and culture and space and friendships like um it's, it's a very it's a very weird thing like if you grew up in india like you have absolutely no problems with someone standing so close to you in a line that like they're brushing up against you um it's not a problem at all like we don't get pissed off by it but the moment i, I lived in america for a while uh, i lived in philadelphia and the idea of personal space is very important, right? Right. Um, and I, I can totally see why, uh, but there are cultural things. And I find that fascinating, uh, that kind of cultural difference. Now, if you translate that to cities and if you translate that to larger spaces and the idea that if you are friends in India, you don't really have boundaries. Uh, you know, you borrow each other's stuff. You show up at each other's place whenever you want um you know you're vulnerable you cry in front of each other whereas i find friendships in america are, are different and friendships in the uk are different uh, and i find that the way we treat our spaces says a lot about us as human beings so uh they become intrinsic parts of my story sorry about that my phone decided to be a jerk at just the uh, most inopportune moment but <laughs> going back to um swan thing and Catwoman, having two ivies you mm -hmm. is that something you're continuing off of jody hauser's kind of harley and ivy mini or was that something you know you originally came up with in your idea of you know showcasing the green through levi and then talking about this other version of Catwoman? Or that's with Catwoman, rather. So I'm going to avoid answering parts of this question. Because <laughs> I wondered. <laughs> this is still part of an ongoing story, and I don't give away plot details. But <laughs> I will say this about the double IV appearance in Swamp Thing. Um, and a lot of people keep, tend to forget, like, the green is a conceptual realm. Um, and so... I imagine the idea, the two combating ideas of Swamp, of Ivy have always existed in that realm on some level. Maybe one of them was quieter. Maybe one of them hit, you know, preferred to hide away in the forest, but they were always there. Uh, and I find that, I find that to be an interesting idea. I think Ivy's a better character when she is of that dual nature. And I know, I know some people see her as a, as a hero and some people see her as a villain, but I think the most interesting character, like there's no villain to me that is more interesting than a villain who is doing things with the intention of doing good things. And there's no hero who's interesting to me who isn't having to combat their own negative impulses from time to time, or at least coming across choices where they could make poor choices from time to time. Um, and so I think that duality is very important for a character. Um, and so I don't want to say I picked the idea from, from Jody's mini. I know, I know she did some work that was of that nature there. And mm -hmm. there were two Ivies, but um, I think that duality of Ivy has always existed. And it seemed like the most obvious way uh, for me to do things. And then that tied in well with what is likely to happen going forward. So I will shut up about that now. <laughs> no, you don't have to. It's okay. <laughs> Um, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoiler. That's okay. I'll be reading it anyway. So um, you're jumping into Venom with Al mm -hmm. Ewing very soon. 
a lot of the promotions for that kind of seems that you're the head writer and Alice Kilopotting. Is that a safe assumption or are you doing two, you know, kind of equal things or? No, um, I don't think either Al or I are concerned with whether it is exactly equal or not. Um, but I think we're doing two things okay. and those two things that's very interesting, right? Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to like interrupt myself all the time, so please forgive me. Oh, no, um, you're totally fine. Al's going to be writing Eddie Brock um, in space. Um, and and I, I believe this is public knowledge. And I'm going to be writing Dylan, who is learning to be Venom with, with, a, with a symbiote back on Earth. Um, and obviously the question is, why is that the case and where are they? But, but that you'll have to read to find out. But the right. idea is that these two narratives are happening, I want to say simultaneously, but I am massively underselling the idea behind it. So let's say for now, these two narratives are happening simultaneously. <laughs> um, and they're going to do their own things. But what happens in narrative A will have consequences in narrative B. And what happens in narrative B will have consequences for narrative A. Until you have this back and forth and the, the two narratives eventually must, of course, intersect and, and collide. Um, I think that's a super interesting way to write a monthly book. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it lets you do super interesting things with format. Um, so I believe the idea is, you know, for me to write however many issues I want to write to give enough of the narrative for that narrative to have consequence and reflectiveness in, in Al's narrative. And then Al writes however many issues he needs to write to leave the story in a place where we're like, okay, let's look at Dylan now. Um, and so I don't know about equal, uh, I don't know co-plotting or main writer or any of right. this. I think we're both writing this story. And I think it's going to be super interesting for that reason. And Donny Cates left you guys a lot to work with when it comes to that. Um, sure. and, he, and he definitely knows how to, you know, change things up. I think you kind of answered this in the beginning a little bit, but is it ever, mm -hmm. do you ever get to a point in your writing, whether it is, you know, Venom or Swamp Thing or Catwoman and want to kind of revert back to that status quo or do you enjoy the challenge? No, status quos are boring. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, genuinely, like stories are about change, and and I enjoy writing change, uh, and more so in this case than than ever before. I think Venom is probably the most overtly about change story that I've that I've written. Um, so yeah, no, I I the thing I enjoy is to open up a comic. And, you know, I'll give you an example, right? Reading Sandman and then seeing, like, Martian, Martian Manhunter show up in one of the... One right. Of the and then, um, I forget his name. Who's the guy with the ruby? Doctor someone. Um, he's one of the villains in Sandman, but actually turns out is a classic sort of golden age DC Comics villain. Um, I'm forgetting his name now. But there's so many characters. There are so many characters... Um, in that book that are actually from runs that went on 30, 40, 50, you know, years before that book was written. Um, and you can, you can say the same of 
Alan Moore's take on on characters like you know Miracle Man or or him writing Watchmen. All of these are books that are contending with everything that came before them, and yet doing something that is intensely forward-looking. Uh, I think I think that's where my interest is. Uh, I don't I don't need a fresh slate. A fresh slate means I have to establish things all over again. Why would I choose not to use? I don't know how many hundreds or or how many tens of decades of established comic book history. Speaking of establishing, um, when it came to your father, Valley, you use a lot of like deeply religious aspects in that. And then, you know, we kind of got the reveal in um, the annual that Mm -hmm. the connection to John Paul Valley and the order of St. Dumas. How did you come up with that character specifically? Because I find him fascinating and creepy all at the same time. Dr. Destiny. Dr. Destiny. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, chat. Right. Am I right? Was it chat? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how I came up with that character. I knew I wanted to, to create this villain who was going to be this kind of slow creeping voice of judgment uh throughout all of selena's actions until it got to a point where they would fight um and i think that was the word like the voice of judgment i think that was the line that said okay he has to be like a religious creep who's constantly judging all the actions you take according to what his you know his or her religious book says um i I found that idea fascinating um and yeah, part of the, part of the reason I kind of made him Father Valley is because I think aesthetically I was really uh, enamored with the idea of uh, there's an anime called Helsing, um, mm-hmm. which is again like tinged with all sorts of um, biblical intonations, but it's actually about vampires and, and vampire right. hunters and all of that. But um, yeah, I kind of wanted to do something in that in that vein, uh, and kind kind of wanted to pull from there. So that's why I did it. I'm sorry, there's no deeper intellectual. Reason <laughs> <for it. laughs> oh, that's okay. I I just I like how we're finally seeing Catwoman have her own rogue that was created for her, and though she ties into the you know Batman mythos of the Order of Saint Dumas, I, I I love seeing her kind of independent of of Batman. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I do. <laughs> I personally like them separate. I mean, why, why, why does a character have a book if it's not about her? Exactly. You know? So, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the white noise collective? Yeah. The white noise collective is a bunch of good for No, I mean a bunch of very good writers, um, including myself, um, it, can, it has Dan Waters, uh, Alex Pacnadel, and Ryan O'Sullivan uh, as part of the group, and then Casper Wingard and Aditya Bidikar are are uh, our our honorary members, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we we kind of started off because I, I believe it was 2015, 2015 and um, I was visiting my first ever comic book convention, um, which was Thought Bubble. Um, and I had chatted with Ryan O'Sullivan online on, on forums, which were still a thing back in the day. Um, and 
yeah, I met up with those guys, uh, and and I believe it was the year Dan and Casper had just put, had just put out Limbo from Image, which was an excellent excellent comic. Mm -hmm. um, I read that, and and obviously I'd read Ryan's work as well, and there was this real sense of I think we were all coming with similar, if not the same, influences into into comics, and we wanted to tell and make similar kinds of stories, and so. Over the course of the year that followed, I think we we exchanged notes on each other's works and and talked our ideas through with each other and and just kind of grew into a creative friendship. Um, and then you know 2016 2017 came along and we were like, look, I think we should just you know call ourselves a, a creative studio um, and start putting these white noise things on the back of our books so people know when they're picking up a book from either Dan or Alex or Ryan or me that they're going to get a certain kind of story. There's an expectation of a certain aesthetic to that book. Didn't you guys all have books at Vault also at the same time? Or was that when These Savage Shores came out shortly thereafter? I mean, I mean, we did. I think we had all pitched books separately to Vault. And we found out later that Vault had greenlit all of them. And so we were just like, yeah, we should just make this a white noise thing. Um, it, it came out at slightly different times, but but we tried to release them all kind of within within a few months of each other. And I think I think that did pretty well. I think all of those books were were excellent. Um, you know, Deep Roots and and Giga and uh, Fierce Fearscape and, and Frendo and uh, These Savage Shores. I think all of them had interesting things to say and were doing it in interesting ways, which is why I read comics. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, another book I actually slept on for a while and I just picked up in the last week was blue and green. Mm -hmm. And I was actually shocked at, at first, I mean, like it was very, um, it felt a little slower paced at first and then it just kind of all boomed together. What was your inspiration on Cause that one felt, you know, different than, some of your other work that I've, you know, more recently read. What was your inspiration when coming up with Blue and Green? I mean, frankly, all of my creator-owned work is largely quite different from from each other. Like, um, you know, Paradiso, different from mm -hmm. Graffiti Fall, different from D. Savage Shores, different from Blue and Green, different from Layla Star. I think that is something that I want to continue doing. I never want to write the same story or a similar story twice. Uh, I'm not a horror writer. I'm not a humor writer. I'm not a science fiction writer. I'm just a writer. Um, <laughs> and and so I enjoy telling all kinds of stories. And I think with Blue and Green, um, you know, I wanted to tell a story that was intensely about interiority in comics while still being visually engaging and thrilling and, and, and surrealist in some ways. So um, I'm also a big jazz fan and, and generally a music nerd um, and and a lot of my storytelling is influenced by music and uh, I'd always had this point of contention that jazz on some level is a very haunting kind of music and most people don't agree with that well like, oh, it's it's nice it's sad or it's pleasant I'm like no no, no it's haunting uh, <laughs> and so I wanted to do a story about haunting jazz and and lo and behold blue and green turned up um, as far as being slower paced, I think that was very intentional. Um, you know, um, every every story has the pace that it that it needs to be told at, and I felt like 
Um, I quite enjoy slow burns. I don't like stories that front load all their information. Right. From, uh, like I can figure it out. I don't mind picking up crumbs and, and, and walking along with writers. And I think my stories, at least the personal aesthetic of my stories will continue to be that way um, in most cases until I get bored of it. <laughs> and, and speaking of nuke stories coming out, is there anything that you can tell us about um, what to expect in season two of Swamp Thing, or is that going too spoilery with that? Mm, I'll tell you. I'll tell you on a very big picture level what to expect. There we go. Um, we've so far looked at the green as an idea, um, and we've we've kind of understood that when two ideas meet, you know, they one must consume the other. Um, I think in season two, I'm gonna I'm gonna start pushing into the realm of like, okay, what is a competitive idea to the green? What idea competes with the green, if you will? And I think that has nice mirroring with the story we've told so far, because right now within the green, there are two ideas competing for dominance, right? We've, we've said this before, we've seen there's a contagion spreading through the green. And mm -hmm. so with season two, I want to give the green yet another competing idea, this time external, something that wants to compete with the green in terms of its influence over the world, if you will. And so, again, all that reflected through the eyes of Levi and through the eyes of Swamp Thing uh, and, and through his personal stories uh, as well. That that wouldn't have anything to do with in those first few issues of Swamp Thing where we see the sand coming through, would it? We see the what coming through the sand. Well, we we see yeah the man kind of going through the sand and communicating that way with Levi when he first uh, I think it's in the first issue or two. I almost wondered if one point if you were going to make that the green like with the sand. Oh, with the sand. You mean you mean the pale wanderer and the yes, desert? Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say this is not the last we've seen of the pale wanderer. I knew but... it. <laughs> But it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the desert. Okay. Dun, I just, dun, dun. I had to ask, I had to ask. What about when it comes to your, what you've got left of your Catwoman? Will we see more from in the fear state and everything um, from the strays and from Leanne at all? Uh, we will see more of them. Yes. Um, I don't want to give away anything beyond that. <laughs> I'm a very non-spoilery kind of person. That's okay. That's okay. I totally yeah. can respect that. I, it, you know, why give your way your story? Then people know before they even yeah, buy it. That's it. Silly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what they should do. So um, last question here, because I have yet to read these Savage Shores. That was the one story I did not get a chance to check out. How, now, how have you not read I, everything I, I've ever done? No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. That's about it. That really is about it. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about it? I know it, it, it's um, kind of the intrigue between the British colonialists and some other aspects of it. Um, and you had to, you know, I don't know. Tell me a little bit about these. Seven it's shows. just, a, it's just a vampire story set in India in 1766. Um, yeah, it is a vampire story set in India in 1766. And it looks like it looks at vampirism as a way to look at colonialism and what happened with India and the British East India Company sort of coming in and and playing their role in doing what they did uh, in that part of the world for for two hundred years that followed. Oh, I love it! I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. I, I'm 
I'm not quite done with blue is green yet. I've got a few pages left to go. So that'll be where I go next. But I absolutely love your, your, your work on everything. It's sad to see you go on Catwoman, but I totally understand. Um, but yeah, I guess, definitely. I mean, it's that thing, right? So I think a couple of people were surprised. Like I've only been writing comics since, or at least like writing them in any prominent way since, since 2015 uh, or 2016, actually, which is when I first published my, my self-published book. Uh, and so I'm yet to figure out where my limits are in terms of how much work I can do. And I feel right. like this past year, year and a half, I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, this is how much I can do before I start going genuinely crazy. Um, and so once, now that I know that, um, I have to, I have to pull back from a certain projects so I can get myself to a place where I'm kind of having fun and, and happy again with like, okay, this is the amount of work I can genuinely do and still find time to, you know, sit outside on my, on my porch and stare at the sky every once in a while. So. Yeah, absolutely. And take care of that baby and have your own mental health be what is most important. Cause you're, you're writing all, you know, not be near as good if it's not all there for you, but Good luck on Venom. I wanted to absolutely thank you so much for joining me. I really, um, honestly, I, I found you in 2018. And ever since then, you've been on my, well, if your name's on it, I'm going to buy it kind of thing. So I, I absolutely thank you so much for your time. You are, uh, you did amazing. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oh, that was so great. Um, I I didn't want to take up too much of his time, but um, yeah, he he's a great guy. He's so easy to talk to. I wanted to get these. I didn't mean to ignore anybody when it came to super chats either. I apologize. Um, I just I didn't know how much time he had. I knew with a little baby and um, with yeah being so busy with writing, I definitely didn't want to kind of. Ugh, go overboard with that so aj thank you so much i think variant covers are important because it lets the consumer us choose which one we want and joe cases the artist talents i agree i do think there's some deceptive practices i don't have ever have had an issue with like you know a variant cover but it's when you get like 25 that might be a little issue thank you so much aj and I've got a super sticker from David. Thank you so much. Uh, and then I've got Raymond. Oh, I feel so bad. I should have said something to him from Raymond. I'm going to shoot him an email. Work is getting in the way. So I got to get going. I'll watch the rest of this later. Tell Rum B. I'm really looking forward to his run on Venom. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you so much, Raymond. I'm not sure if you're still here, but if you see this later, thank you so much. Thank you guys all for stopping by i will have a normal episode of the morning brew next week i just wanted to definitely have a great talk with ram and it kind of worked out perfectly usually i was doing i sense you were a little bit nervous you, you you could probably tell i usually am i don't talk very well and then i say dumb things and then i'm like oh god my foot it just belongs in my mouth um, you know not temporarily just permanently so yeah i i beat you I try, but that was awesome. I'm still kind of on cloud nine. So absolutely. Thank you guys for stopping by. I'll have a normal um, morning brew next week where we'll go over new books. I know 
Um, the we've got a new Batman, a new Aquaman book. So there's a bunch. We'll go over it, but I will see you guys in the next one. Bye bye.